this coming Thursday, this country will hit the pause button. Everything will come to a halt as we observe the national holiday of Thanksgiving. While it may look a little different this year in the midst of a pandemic where we're being urged to limit the size of our gatherings, nevertheless, we will find a way to celebrate. The holiday is called Thanksgiving, but the truth of the matter is that we live in a time in which gratitude is rarely expressed. People seem more focused on what they don't have than on what they do have. The story that forms our text for the message today tells of 10 people who received an incredible gift from the hand of Jesus, but only one expressed gratitude. In this story, you're going to see that giving thanks isn't just the polite thing to do. It isn't just the socially expected thing to do. One of the things this story teaches is that giving thanks is actually a key to you receiving your miracle. I want to drive that home a little, a little more, so I'm going to say it again. Giving thanks is a key to you receiving your miracle. The setting of this story finds Jesus on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to die on the cross. He's almost there by chapter 17 of Luke's gospel when a group of 10 leprous men interrupts his journey. Right at the beginning of this message, I want to highlight three truths that can be learned from the very opening verses of the story about giving thanks. First of all, I want you to see that reverence doesn't equal thankfulness. It's very evident that these lepers expressed reverence toward Jesus. The Bible says in verse 12 that all 10 of them stood at a distance. Now, the, the ceremonial law of the Jews had some very strict rules that governed the behavior of lepers. No one was permitted to come closer than six feet to a leper. I've heard that somewhere before re recently about six feet, you know. If a, if a leper was upwind from a Jew, he had to stand at least 150 feet away. Standing at a distance was just how lepers stood. But the language suggests that these lepers were also motivated by a sense of reverence toward the one they called master. See, even though they are reverent, however, they aren't thankful. Reverence doesn't necessarily equal thankfulness. And then the story teaches that recognition doesn't equal thankfulness. These 10 men recognized both the person and the position of Jesus. They stood at a distance and cried out with a loud voice, the Bible says. Now, lepers were often reduced to a kind of croaking whisper because of the effect the disease had on their vocal cords. So in order for them to make the effort to cry out with a loud voice, it required a maximum effort of urgency. Not only was there urgency, but there was also accuracy. They knew his person, and they knew something of his position. See, they called him Jesus. His name meant Savior. Beyond that, though, they called him Master. This is the term of respect in the Gospel of Luke that is used by the disciples. So these were men who recognized Jesus, but they still fell short of gratitude. There's a third truth that is revealed by the behavior of these men. Responding in obedience doesn't equal 
thankfulness. Jesus told them in verse 14 to go show themselves to the priest. Ordinarily in Bible times, that step was taken after a Jew was cleansed from leprosy. Truthfully, this step of ceremonial cleansing, going and showing yourself to the priest, was almost never followed because it was almost unheard of for anyone to be cured of leprosy. Such was the devastating nature of this disease. Yet when Jesus gave the command, these 10 men, without hesitation, turned and obeyed. It's interesting to me. When, when Jesus, never said, Jesus never prayed for them. Did you notice that in the story? He never prayed for them. He never said, you're healed. He just said, go show yourself to the priest. And even before they saw a change in their condition, they made their way toward the priest in an act of faithful obedience to the word of the master. Now think about this. Here were desperate men who had reverence for the person of Jesus. They recognized the truth about who he was. They responded to him with obedience. But even with all that, they still fell short of being thankful. That's hard to imagine, especially when you consider just how much they received. These men were lepers. Leprosy, most often called Hansen's disease now, is one of the most terrible diseases of all times. In Jesus' day, leprosy was known as the living death. Now, there are two kinds of leprosy. The first is known as nodular or uh, tubercular leprosy. It begins with an extreme weariness accompanied by pains in the joints. Shortly after that, the skin, especially on the back and the face, begins to discolor with symmetrical patches. On these patches form nodules. At first, they're pink, then turning brown. They grow into thick, glossy, tumor-like welts. The skin thickens, the nodules spread to the folds of the neck, the nose, the lips, the forehead. Over a period of time, the entire face may actually lose its human appearance because of the being distorted by all of these tumors. As the tumors grow larger, they begin to ulcerate, discharging a foul-smelling liquid. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become fixed. As the ulcers spread to the larynx, the voice becomes hoarse, and the patient wheezes as he breathes. In time, the hands and the feet ulcerate until the leper becomes this mass of oozing tumors. The average patient eventually loses even his ability to think correctly and dies, usually within nine years. The second type of leprosy is anesthetic leprosy. This begins in a similar way, but in this form, the nerve trunks are affected. The leprous area loses all sensation. You cannot feel anything. The victim may not be aware of this until he burns or cuts his hand or his foot and suddenly realizes there's no sensation of pain. I, I actually, in, in a previous pastorate, had a gentleman that, that had this issue where he could not feel pain. And he told me, he says, Pastor, I have to be very, very cautious because I could actually put my hand on a burning stove and never know it until I smelled the flesh burning and cook my hand and not even know it. So the, the victim may not even be aware of it. 
the, the muscles deteriorate and the tendons contract until the hands become like claws. The hands, feet, nose, and ears ulcerate as the disease progresses until in the end, hands and feet may drop off and the patient may be without a nose or without ears. The patient may live as long as 30 years after becoming infected before he dies a horrible death. And sometimes both nodular and anesthetic leprosy are present in the same person. Although Hansen's disease is now curable and is known to be virtually non-communicable, in the time of Jesus, it was known as the curse of Satan, the worst disease that could happen to any human being. I told you earlier that the person with leprosy wasn't permitted to be in close proximity with anyone else. The restrictions were actually much more severe than just social distancing, (laughs) This person was literally banned from the community. And by the time of Jesus, it was illegal to even greet or speak to a leper. He was required to wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face. They were masking. And everywhere he went in public, he was required to cry out, unclean, unclean, to warn people. The Jewish historian Josephus writes that lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. Can you imagine living your life as a social outcast, being shunned by everyone? Can you imagine coming upon a crowd of people having a party, and the minute they see you, having them run away in horror? Here you are, physically doomed, no hope of a cure, It's just simply a matter of time before you are dead, and the manner in which you will die is a slow, horrible one. All the while you are struggling with the effects of the disease, you're also ostracized from society, shunned by the very people who were your closest friends before you contracted the dreaded disease. That's the condition of these men. Uh, But when Jesus came by and they lifted up their voice begging for mercy, the Bible says Jesus didn't pray over them, didn't pronounce healing. He just told them to go and show themselves to the priests. According to the law of Moses, this was only to be done after the leprosy was cleansed. So Jesus was calling for a faith response. And apparently he got it from all 10 of these men. Even before there was any change in their condition, they made their way toward the priest. And somewhere along the way, they were healed. Now, I don't know if it happened immediately as they turned in obedience to go. I don't know if it happened when they knocked on the door at the home of the priest. I don't know if each one of them realized it individually in his own body or if they happened to look over at each other and notice that the sores weren't oozing anymore and the tumors had shrunk and the healthy color had returned to the skin. The Bible doesn't give any of those details. It simply says that all 10 men were healed. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. The Bible is very clear that all 10 men received healing. 
but only one of the ten returned to give thanks. The peculiar thing about this man is that he is identified as a Samaritan. Now, I don't have time to talk to you about all that that meant, but just suffice it to say, from the perspective of the Jews, the Samaritan was religiously and socially and racially in far worse shape than any of them. (laughs) Given the prejudice against the Samaritans, I somehow suspect that the nine Hebrews were secretly pleased when he separated himself from them. (laughs) They must have gone on their way saying, thank God that Samaritan isn't with us anymore. He was ruining our reputation. (laughs) Yet it was the Samaritan, the man who was all wrong, who returned to Jesus giving thanks for his healing. The one who on the surface had the least to thank Jesus about thanked him the most. And in return, I want to suggest he received the greater miracle. High point of the story, as far as I'm concerned, is verse 19, where Jesus says to this Samaritan, after he has come and fallen down on his face in worship and thankfulness to him, Jesus says to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, hold on to that word for a moment. According to verse 17, 10 were healed. But when you examine the words a little closer, you discover that there are three different words used to describe what's going on with these men. The Bible says all of them were cleansed, all of them were healed. But only of the Samaritan is it said that he was made well or In all 10 men, the leprosy was stopped. In all 10 men, the disease was driven from their bodies. In all 10 men, the sores were healed. They were cleansed of the leprosy. They were healed of the disease. But when the Samaritan falls down at the feet of Jesus in thanksgiving, Jesus says to him, you are made well or whole. It's a completely different word from being cleansed or being healed. The word is sozo. This is more than healing. This also means to be saved or to be delivered. So when Jesus tells this man that he is made whole, the physical healing has already occurred. Did you you catch that when when we read the story? It said... Seeing that he was healed, he turned and came back and gave thanks. He was already healed. The physical healing is taking place. But now Jesus is talking about something much more important, something much deeper. In response to the worship this man expressed when he came and fell at the feet of Jesus, in response to the thanks he gave, in response to his desire to return and be in the Lord's presence and following after him, Jesus is also saying to him, the healing you've experienced isn't just for the physical problem of leprosy. The outward leprosy was an indicator of the inward wasting disease that was happening in your spirit. So I'm not just healing your physical body, I'm also saving your soul. You've not only had physical leprosy, but you've had leprosy of spirit, and I'm going to completely deliver you from that too. 
in response to his thankful heart, Jesus says, I'm going to do something in you that is even greater than curing your physical ailment. I'm going to heal your spirit. I'm going to give you a brand new start. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit and a new desire. I'm going to see to it that you are not only healed in body, but that your spirit is reborn as well. Go your way. Your faith has saved you. Now, that's wonderful. He's gotten healing for his body. He's gotten salvation for his spirit. Most people would stop there. But there's something else I want you to see about this word and how thanksgiving becomes the key for miracles to occur. I've often wondered about how advanced the disease was in each of the 10 men who cried out to Jesus. I've wondered especially about, about how advanced the leprosy was in the Samaritan. And since this is my message, I would tell you that the Samaritan was in worse physical shape than any of the other nine. If you want to call it another way, you'll get your chance when you preach this passage in your sermon. But for today, it's my sermon, and that's the way I see it. All right? So here's this Samaritan man. Samaritan man. Let me describe it. Describe him. He's in bad shape. When I see this man, he's missing a couple of fingers. He can barely walk because most of the toes are gone from one foot. He has this big open hole where a nose used to be. He's blind in one eye and vision in the other eye is blurred. His body is misshapen with tumors and open, oozing sores. But as soon as he starts toward showing himself to the priest, he he gets part way in obedience to the command of Jesus, and somewhere along the way, he is healed. The, the, The tumors stop oozing, the skin clears, the bacillus that caused the disease in the first place dries up and dies. He is physically healed. He is so excited about his healing, he can't wait to get to Jesus so he can thank him for his healing. So before even getting to the home of the priest, as soon as he realizes he's cleansed from the leprosy, he turns around and hobbling and and, and stumbling, he makes his way to Jesus. And when he arrives, he just falls on the ground before him, giving thanks for his healing. And then wonder of wonders, Jesus does an incredible work in his spirit. His sin is forgiven. So now not only is he wondrously thankful for his physical healing, but his heart is light. His spirit is renewed. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. He's free from the guilt. He's free from the condemnation. He's free from the bondage. He's born again through faith in Jesus. Oh, what a glorious experience. Does anybody remember what it felt like when you knew Jesus had saved your soul? Well, just multiply that by a factor of about 10. And that's how this guy was feeling right then. He doesn't think it can get any better. Oh, but it does. Because Jesus then says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Not only are you healed physically, not only are you saved spiritually, but your thanksgiving has opened the door for an entirely different kind of miracle. 
It's the miracle of restoration. See, that word sozo not only means saved and delivered, it also means restored. To restore something. Has anybody ever done any like furniture restoration or you know, God love you and bless you and keep you, <laughs> you know. I remember, I, I think I've told this story uh, in another message a number of years ago. Uh, the, the, my personal piano at, at the house it was built in 1889. It's a, it's a, B, a Model B Steinway, and, and, and over the years, you can imagine, you know, it's just, well, back in, I think it was around 2006, somewhere in 2006, I had the thing restored. We tore the thing apart. We, I mean, and it was scattered all over God's creation. Part of it was here in Jacksonville where we were putting in a new action and, and new felts and new hammers and all of that. And part of it was in Atlanta where they were putting in a new pin block and a new uh, uh, soundboard and new strings. And part of it was in Massachusetts where we were putting, it, it had real ivory on the keys and, and the ivory over the years had gotten chipped and, and cracked and some of it was missing. And so we were putting new ivory on the keys in Massachusetts. You can, you can get legal ivory, by the way, for things like that, all right? So that's what, don't anybody go out of here saying, yeah, pastor was killing rhinos. And, you know, no, no, it was legal stuff, you know. But we finally put it all back together, and it's beautiful. What, what, what did we do? We restored it. We brought it back to its original state, to its former condition, and, 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 and it... To, we brought it back like it had been before. That's what Jesus says to this man. Your faith and your thanks that you've returned to give to me. Go your way. You are made restored. Your faith, demonstrated by your thanksgiving, has made you whole. Let me tell you what I think that means. Can you just see this Samaritan the next morning? For the first time in years, he was able to sleep in his own bed last night. And when he awakes, it seems like the sun is shining brighter than it's ever been. It seems like the birds are singing sweeter than he's ever heard them sing. He's alive. And, and, and because of the work Jesus did in saving his, 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 his spirit, the joy of the Lord is in his heart. Well, he swings his legs over the edge of the bed and gets up to begin his day. And as his feet hit the floor, he suddenly notices for the very first time in months, maybe even years, he, he can actually feel the floor. He hasn't felt anything under his feet in a, such a long time. Some of you who have struggled with neuropathy, you know what that's like. And as he moves toward the wash basin, he, he stubs his toe and he winces in pain. Uh, uh, but wait a minute, that can't be. He doesn't have a toe on that foot. Or at least he didn't used to have a toe on that foot. I mean, it fell off months ago. But, but what's this? It, it's a big toe. He gets to the bathroom and looks in the mirror expecting to see this, this horrible face staring back at him with a gaping hole in the middle. <laughs> but instead, no, there's a nose, a big, beautiful, wonderful nose. Uh, 
And suddenly it dawns on him. He's seeing clearly this morning out, out of both eyes. No more hazy blur, but everything is in sharp focus. What is it? He's not just healed, but he's whole. Not only is the disease gone, not only is he saved and delivered from sin, but he's also been completely restored. Now, if you think this is some kind of fairy tale I'm telling, if you think this is just my overworked, overworked imagination tilting out of control, then you just don't know the Jesus that I know. Because this Jesus I serve is not just in the healing business. This Jesus isn't just in the saving business. But this Jesus is also in the restoration business. He, yes, he is. He's in the business of putting people back like they were before, before the tragedy, before the disappointment, before the fall, before the disgrace, before the brokenness, before the ruin, before the shame, before the grief. This whole idea may seem like an impossibility, too incredible to be true, but that's only because you keep forgetting that with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I want to remind you today of Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What that means is all that he was then, he is now. All that he did then, he is doing now. I wish I could find a way to just, just plant that in you in such a way that it would bear fruit. Maybe your wound isn't a physical one. Maybe it's the debility that remains from years spent in a dysfunctional family. Maybe it's the scars that remain from an abusive relationship. Maybe it's the horrible sense of loss from a terrible tragedy. Maybe it's the pain that comes as a result of wrong choices you've made. You know, I stand in this pulpit week after week after week after week and preach to people who've been healed but aren't yet whole. You've repented of your sin. You're born again. You identify yourself with Jesus and even with the church. But you're not whole. You're broken. You're wounded. You're, you're beat up. You're battered. And all of that pain and hurt always finds a way to come out. It does. Sometimes it comes out in anger. Sometimes it comes out in an inability to resist pressure. Sometimes it comes out in addiction. Sometimes the negative behavior is directed at others. And sometimes it's internalized and pointed at yourself. The nine lepers, 
They had the law, they had the prophets, they had the temple, they had the customs, they had the religion, but even with all of that, they were healed, but not whole. I'm suggesting to you that the Lord has something much better for your life. He doesn't just want you to be healed, but He wants to restore you to that place where you are no longer handicapped by the problems of the past. Listen, listen. You can't help what somebody else did to you. You can't go back and undo the past. Anybody discovered that? You know, no matter how hard you try, you can never get the toothpaste back in the tube. You can't undo the past. But the Lord promises that He can and He will bring such restoration to your life that your past will not determine your future. Your past will not destroy your future. He will give you a future and a hope. He will restore those things that are broken and wasted away. The key that activates this restoration, it's right here. It's in this story. It's your thanksgiving. Think about that. Your thanksgiving can bring about your restoration. Your thanksgiving is the key to you becoming whole wherever you are broken. Now, before I conclude the message, I want to very quickly tell you how to put this into practice. I mean, it's great for me to tell you this story and go through all of this, but, but here's the how-to, okay? Here's the practical application. I want to help you move from theology to thankology, And I have three words for you that will help get you there. First of all, it begins with perception. Verse 15 says, when this leper, when the Samaritan leper, when he saw that he had been healed. Being thankful isn't a matter of what has happened to you this year nearly so much as it is how you see what has happened to you this year. See, there are many people in this city who, when you look at their lives on the outside, it seems that they have the most to thank God about, but they will see it all with only an attitude of bitterness and cynicism. And some who, it appears, have the least to thank, about, have the least to thank God about, materially at least, will see it as a grounds for gratitude. The bottom line is that your outlook will determine the outcome when it comes to thanksgiving. If you want to develop the thanksgiving that unlocks the door to miracles, then you're going to have to stop and see what God has done for you. I I want to tell you, it's not going to happen while you're rushing to your next appointment. You have to stop. You have to pay attention. It takes a while to adjust your spiritual vision. It begins with perception. It continues with proclamation. Verse 15 says, this Samaritan, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, here it is, glorifying God with a loud voice. 
<laughs> There's something like 140 references in the Word of God to giving thanks to God. In the Psalms alone, there are at least 30 references, and virtually every one of them is a call to not only feel thankful, but to express those thanks in an open way. That's what it means in Psalm 66 and 16. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. That's why Psalm 95 verses 1 through 3 says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise unto the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. That's what it's talking about in Psalm 96 verses 3 and 4. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Someone has said that the thankful person tastes his joys twice. He tastes them when they happen, and he tastes them again when he gives God gratitude for them. It begins with perception. It grows through proclamation. Finally, it ends with prostration. Verse 16 says, and this Samaritan leper fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. <laughs> Nine men didn't even come back to thank Jesus for their miraculous healing. But one man sensed it so deeply that he fell at the feet of Jesus in a place of humility, recognizing a debt that could never be repaid. And his thanksgiving became the catalyst that got him so much more than healing, so much more than he ever dreamed it would get. It became the key to the most incredible miracle of all and brought him to a place where he was completely restored. I'm trying to tell you that this thanksgiving stuff works. This thanksgiving is a key to you being whole. You know, too often we focus so much on the negative. We focus so much on the problem. When we have a physical issue, what do we do? We talk about where we hurt. We talk about the condition. We talk about the illness. We talk about the ailment. We talk about the disease. And that's what we focus on. I want to tell you that I don't, I don't understand this. This is way beyond my pay grade. But there is something that goes on. They tell me when a person focuses on thankfulness, it actually creates something on the cellular level. Chemically, it changes things in your body and produces healing hormones and healing elements in your body when you are thankful. It can turn things around. Just being thankful instead of focusing on the negative, I'm going to focus on what God has done. I'm told that the Maasai tribe in Africa have to us what is a rather unusual way of saying, I thank you. They say literally, my head is in the dirt to give expression of thanks. When the Maasai express thanks, they literally put their forehead down on the ground. They want to acknowledge gratitude with humility. And that's the key to unlocking the flow of the miraculous. That's how restoration comes. It comes when you're thankful. 
I don't know if I'm doing this very well today or not. But somewhere, somewhere, I, I, I'm trying to, I know this isn't probably what you were expecting in a sermon. You know, I'm not, I didn't get loud and boisterous and fast and, you know, sling sweat everywhere and, you know, it may not even seem like a Pentecostal sermon to you, but I think it is because it's one that I'm trying to put something in your hand that will be, I'm trying to give you a key that will unlock your miracle. Thanksgiving is that key. It will literally unlock the miraculous in your life. So as I bring the message to a close, I, I, I just wonder if there's anybody listening today in the house or online and you have a place in your life that's broken. Maybe it is something physical with you. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional. Whatever it is, you're broken and you want to be whole. I've been trying to help you understand that the key to your wholeness is to cultivate a spirit of thanksgiving. You know, the Bible never says to give thanks for everything. But it does say to give thanks in everything. In everything. In the midst of whatever craziness you're experiencing. In the midst of whatever pain. Give thanks. So if you want to be whole, I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about your blessings. Could you do that? You know, I... I, I've discovered that when somebody says, think about your blessing, you know, what's, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What's the most important thing you're thankful for? Whenever somebody says that to me, I can never come up with just one. Right. You know, because things just start flooding in. And then as I start trying to articulate them, I, you know, speak them out or write them down, then more and more come. And, 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 and the more I think about the blessing, the more I remember the blessings, the more blessings I remember. So if, if I could ever get people to stop focusing on their need and start focusing on God's goodness, what a change it would be. Oh, Pastor, you don't know how bad it is. Yeah, I do. I really do. You're not the first and you're not the only one that's got it that bad. I know you feel that way. And I'm not trying to diminish that. Please. I, I, I'm not trying to make light of that. But in the midst of it, you can because thanks is a decision. It's a choice you make. You can choose to focus on the problem, or you can choose to focus on God's goodness. And your choice will make all the difference in the world. You can focus on how down you are, or you can focus on how up you can be. Would you think for a moment about God's blessing in your life? Just think about them. 
I'm going to ask you, not because there's anything inherently spiritual about this particular part, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And the only reason I'm asking you to do that is because somehow that helps us to focus and kind of shut out some distractions. And would you just think for a moment about God's goodness to your life and how his blessings have come to you and what those blessings are? Just think for a moment. Now, would you make a faith response by giving expression of your thanks to God from whom all blessings flow? Would you just thank him? Maybe just say, I thank you, God, for, and, and tell him specifically what you're thanking him for. Fill in that blank. I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord, for. I thank you for. I thank you for. Come on. Just, just verbalize your thanks to the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord. Thank you. I pray that not just in this season of thanksgiving, but in every season of our life. You will help us to cultivate a spirit of thanksgiving and to do it in such a way so frequently that it moves out of thanksgiving into thanksliving. Amen. Amen.